Welcome back to The Everyday Hair Colourist and today's guest I'm really thrilled to have on board, Mr Paul Edmonds. Paul is a multiple salon owner, award winning, BAFTA member, I mean the list goes on. Welcome Paul. Hi, how are, you? how are you today? I'm great thanks, thanks for coming on board here to talk about your journey. You're very welcome, oh my journey. I feel a bit like Forrest Gump. I think it's one of those things where things happen to people and you either take advantage of that moment or you don't. And maybe I took advantage of a lot of things that maybe I shouldn't have really kind of go like, oh, shit. Anyway. Well, we look forward to hearing those. <laughs> I wanted to start off, Paul, with how did it all start for you? So you're not originally from London, are you? No, I'm from a small village. Well, in fact, it was a small village uh, in the West Midlands um, called Old Swinford. It's near Stabridge, so it's kind of in between Birmingham and Worcester. Um, and I actually wanted to be an architect, but I flunked my physics exam, so it meant I had to do another year, and I didn't really want to do that, so therefore I kind of thought, oh, I'll do design. And my girlfriend at the time was a hairdresser, and she was just like, why don't you do hairdressing uh, while you're waiting to go to design college? And I was just like, yeah, why not? Kind of, it's one of those things where you think it may be an idea. But anyway, I did it. And one, I found out I was really good at it. And the other thing was that um, I found it quite easy. I hate to say it. Um, And other people, I was a junior, so I did an apprenticeship. Right. so I just found it really easy. So I actually got through all my training in just over a year, about a year and a half, and I was on the floor working as a stylist. And That's pretty amazing because back when we trained and, you know, and before then <laughs> as well, it was like five years. It was three years an apprenticeship. Yeah, I signed a five-year indenture. Yes. So it, it's quite an amazing thing. But I was lucky that my boss allowed me to kind of carry on. Anyway, I did that, and then I got became kind of a, a bit bored because I was uh, a top stylist in London, uh, in Birmingham rather, and I, I trained in Birmingham, I should say, and um, it was kind of a bit weird going from uh, doing that and getting bored and just I wanted to be the best I could possibly be. Right. So you were driven at an early yeah. age. I'm afraid so. Yeah. Um, And I think ambition is one of those very tricky things that you have to temper slightly because sometimes it it can push you in directions that you shouldn't really be going. But anyway, I kind of decided I'd go to London, came down to London, and I worked for a company called Jingles, and I really went there because I wanted to then be an educator, and they had a school, and they were all ex-Sassoon people, and... It was really good, actually. They, they taught me masses of things. At that point, I was a little bit of a Noel, uh, as, as they used to say, Noel Edmonds. That was me. Did they used to call you that? I mean, that's fascinating <laughs> to me because I only know you as this very sort of calm, well-thought-out man. No. But there was obviously a time when you were just really pushy. and I was crazy. I was like that. <gasps> need to do more, need to do more. I need to be better, need to be better. Um, so... I kind of drove people insane. Anyway, I worked there for a few years and I worked on the artistic team and we did shows and I remember doing a show at the Albert Hall and I remember the first time I went on stage and the God knows how many thousand of hairdressers are in front and before I went on, 
one of the guys I was working with said, are you nervous at all? I went, no, not at all. So she went, oh. Yes, oh. Oh. Anyway, I got on stage and I was fine for the first three, four minutes. And then the guy who used to run Jingles came up and said, so, Paul, tell me about what you're doing. And I said, oh, I started doing this haircut about three months ago. And he kind of went, that's a long time to do a haircut. <laughs> and it completely threw me. And so <laughs> I told him, oh, 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 oh. And at that point, my right kneecap started to tremble so intensely that you cannot believe it. I thought everyone in the audience can see my right kneecap trembling. <laughs> and I've never had a thing like that where you have a spasm that's awful. Anyway, um, I got through it and my kind of three-month haircut actually worked out really well. But anyway, um, so from there I, I then went to... How, how old were you by this time, Paul, when you started doing this, when you, you got to I, London? I came to London when I was 21... 21. And then once I'd kind of uh, trained, I guess I was 23. And so I was 23, 24 at this point. And, and so you'd got, you'd got to London and then you, you joined Jingles, but you had to retrain with them. So yeah. this, this guy who's the senior stylist who'd done it in a year, who was super keen, wanted to learn. And then how did that feel for you at that point? Can you remember? I was fine because I wanted to learn more. I just wanted to know more. So retraining was never a problem for me. And again, um, it was supposed to be quite a long retraining and I did it really quickly. Um, I've got one of those brains that picks up visually. I'm a bit thick right. when it comes to doing anything else, but I can pick up visually. Uh, I wouldn't say that about you, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so... At that point, uh, my wife was working at Daniel Galvin and I used to get, pop in there to see her. And Daniel was quite funny because he, he drove me insane because he always said, why don't you come work for me? I hear you're a really good hairdresser. And I was just like, no, you're not really my kind of hairdresser. So, you know, I don't do your kind of big blow dry kind of things, uh, which is slightly ironic. Um, so. <laughs> yeah, for everyone out there, everyone, for everyone listening, it, that is slightly ironic now, being in the middle of Knightsbridge, where, you know, the big blow dry is still very popular. Yeah. Anyway, I was very Sassoon orientated, so I was very kind of cut lines, asymmetric, kind of cut, leave bits out, do all that type of stuff. Um, anyway, he finally said, what will it take you to come and work for me? And I went... I'd only come here as the artistic director. So he went, okay, fine. And how much do you want? And I told him and he kind of said, okay, fine. And that's that thing where you kind of go, oh, very quiet, oh. Because... So you, they gave you everything you wanted and then you had to take the job. Yeah. Um, and I'd never worked as an artistic director, so I didn't, had no idea what, those, what it meant or what it kind of would do um and part of my remit was to train the rest of the stylists up to doing really good haircuts because there was it was a very um kind of arty kind of haircutting where you you kind of made molded it you you carved a shape right and i cut a shape so i was very kind of different anyway um that was my waterloo so I then had to 
do it. Anyway, I did it. And I think all the stylists hated me for the first six, nine months. Um, and I really mean they didn't like me at all. It's always like that when you walk into an established salon, though, isn't it? And there's a click. And there's sort of like, well, who's this one? What's this one going yeah. to do? There's always that but there's also, sort of fear. Also, I was really young. I look at it yes. now and I thought if, if someone came into the salon at that age and said, right, I'm going to teach you all how to do this properly. Yes, it's sort of slightly um, the arrogance of it, I suppose, <laughs> people might say. Yeah? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. now you know why I'm the way I am now. Paul is, everyone who's listening, <laughs> Paul is like the calmest, gentlest soul in the world. He, you've never, I've never seen him get angry, maybe once. <laughs> and, I've, and he's always the calming influence in the conversation, always. So this is quite fun. Um, yeah. So arrogance wasn't... I wasn't, like, really bad, but I was just a bit cocky, to be truthful. Right. That's youth, though, isn't it? Yeah. And that's, you know, youth's one of those terrible things. And it's a great thing because it drives you forward. It makes you impulsive, makes you do things. On the bad side is that you jump in there where angels fear to tread and you say all the things that shouldn't be said but anyway i um we've actually had some uh, younger people on the like young, much younger in their sort of 20s on the podcast younger than me and they it is funny because there is that difference between guests who are a bit more seasoned and the younger guests and the difference in the way they approach things but i suppose we all, all were a little little bit like that to be, when we were out there because we wanted to be the best that we could be yeah and <laughs> It's it's really hard to temper that, I have to say. I think it is... You you need that youth. And I love seeing people that are really enthusiastic and have that get up and go. And it's just sometimes you have to kind of say to them, it's fine, there's time. Yeah. There is time. Don't get into this thing where you have to go out there and prove everything now. You don't have to prove everything now. Just build up know build up what you do how you do it and just kind of get, gradually go forward I think I rushed and that's one of my I'd say I have very few regrets in my life but one of my regrets is rushing forward and also not enjoying the moment the moment yes um, and so many times I rushed ahead um, and really it's a stupid thing to do because you don't need to that's twenty twenty hindsight, though, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. Um, it's in fact I learnt it at Daniel Galvin. Um, there were lots of hairdressers who originally I was just like, you know, they, they don't know how to do a haircut. They could do hair that was beyond belief. Yes, um, and they didn't work to my way of working, and they. At that point, they were using razors, and I didn't use a razor. It was kind of a razor. Only (laughs) old people use razors on a haircut. Um, And it's really kind of funny how times have changed. And now it's anything to get a result. Absolutely, it is anything to get a result, isn't it? However it means. Do you think at that period of time, though, there was this split in the industry that was... So when was this, 70s? Um, it'd be early 80s. Early 80s. So early 80s. I came down 78. You had your old guard yeah. who were like Mr. Teasy Weezy and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So doing all those fantastic. Raymond and uh, who else was there? Leonard. 
Leonard yes. is a perfect example of that. So they did all that super fabulous dressing and that skill set that somehow has been lost a little bit, I think. Yeah. And then there was the Sassoon crowd, which was the new crowd, which was the the art form of cutting a line and, and all the precision yeah. cutting. Yeah, and, you know, it, it was great because there were two different... There was a definite fork because you had John Frieda that went off in that Leonard kind of thing um, and you had the kind of younger, I'd say, set that did the kind of cutting and then you had the Tonian guy that came in um, and they revolutionised kind of the whole of hairdressing in a mm. way. Yeah, type, big, big changes in the UK at that time. Um, huge, huge. And what's funny is that I was looking back at some old pictures in books of when I was a, kind of doing hair and I looked at some of the hair that I did and it was just like... Um, <laughs> it dates, doesn't I'd it? Be really em- I'd be really embarrassed to say I did it now because it, it was quite big. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're on the floor, you're artistic director, you're trying to build some rapport with the team or not? <laughs> no, I did. I have to say, I, I built a great rapport with the team and they all liked me in the end. And it was that thing of the, I ended up learning so much when I was there because yes. I also did that thing, which I think you have to do, is I will show you how I do something, but I really want to see how you do it. Yes. Because I think it's really important that I see what you do and how you do it. And, you know, the, there were some great hairdressers in there. Um, but they just didn't work to my kind of tune. And in, in fact, in the end, they liked the stuff that I did and I loved the stuff that they did and they showed me how to do masses of things. It came to a point where we kind of uh, went our separate ways and I went then to work for a friend who had just opened a salon uh, just under the IPC Tower in uh, south of the river and... Again, it's one of those things I thought, I'll do this for a year. Then I was under a contract, so I couldn't work anywhere in London. Right. Um, so I had to get out of the contract. Those um, gardening clauses. Yeah, lovely. So the year. So I, was, I worked for him. And in fact, what was strange there was I ended up meeting all the head people at IPC. So like Woman, Woman's Own, Woman's Journal, Marie Claire. Um, oh, I can't even remember all the things they used to do, but they did most of the magazines at that point. Right. Um, And so I ended up meeting all the editors and the beauty editors, and I used to do their hair and became kind of friends with them. Um, And it kind of stood me in good stead. I then was approached by um, Neville Daniel, which is... Neville and Daniel Hurchison. Yes, and that used to be on Sloan Street, didn't it? Yeah. It was a massive, it beautiful was, store on Sloan it Street. It was huge, huge place. Yeah. So they asked me to go and uh, manage the salon. Uh, and my wife, I should say, my wife and I to go and manage the salon. And again, we were like, no, we're quite happy. We're happy with what we're doing. And they said, well, how much would it how much would you want? So we kind of gave, gave them the amount and they said, OK, fine. When can you start? This, this is a lot like Hair History 101, isn't it, in London at the time, yeah. really? It is. And again, it's just like, did I want to manage a salon? No. Um, but 
it's one of those things. So we went there and we worked there for a few years quite successfully. And the only thing was that um, I didn't enjoy my time there 100%. Right. Um, and the reason was there were lots of egos. There were a lot of old hairdressers who were not that nice to be working with. Yeah, I, for anybody that does it is who's much younger, it was very different in those days in England, wasn't it? And there was yeah. that kind of, I mean, those, some of those top stylists could be really quite mean. I think. I mean, it wouldn't happen really mean. now. Um, it, it but be, they'd, yeah. they'd do stuff to um, for hair to go wrong if you put something on like a colour. They'd do something to make it go wrong just to kind of show you not all that yeah keep you in your place yeah and it was always the same so I worked there for a couple of years and I was really lucky because while I was there uh, I kind of met quite a few makeup artists and worked with different makeup artists oh one thing I should say when I was at uh, Daniel Galvin um, I actually did my first film hair there because um, they bought one of the makeup artists bought in some guys to have their hair cut in short back and sides and none of the hairdressers are there. They're having colour as well, so the reason they were bought there was for the colour, really. And then they would, does anyone do short back and sides? And I was the only one that could do short back and sides. And um, it was kind of a, a bit of a weird thing because I was shoved in it, I was 23, 24, um, and suddenly I was doing all the leads for this film which I didn't know anything about. And as far as I was concerned, it was something to do with a runner. And I had no... You know, <laughs> I know what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's Chariots of Fire. Chariots we're, of Fire. Oscar winning. <laughs> Oscar winning, Chariots of Fire. I did all the hair. Uh, so it's quite, quite funny that you do these things. And I say, you don't know at the time what you're doing. You just do what you do. And they lead into other things too. Yeah. I, want to, I want to spend some time on this podcast, talking about film and TV work with you. Yeah. So we've we, we done a little bit. Anyway, I'll tell you how I got into it, how I yes. really got into it. And how I really got into it was that um, when I was working at Neville Daniel, the head of makeup design for the BBC, uh, used, I used to cut her hair and she came in and she was saying, um, I'm starting a new school and I'd be interested if you can think of anyone that could teach short back and sides, because I know you do short back and sides. I went, well, I'm not, I don't do teaching anymore, so I couldn't do it. I sent her to Sassoon's, to Allen International and a couple of other places to see if they do it. And all those companies came back and said, no, we, we can't teach someone that doesn't do hair to do short back and sides unless they have a basic training in hair. So she came back to me and said, look, I've got a two-week window which I've got for teaching people how to do short bang sides. We really need our assistant makeup artists to be able to do it if they're doing big productions. So is there an easy way of doing it? So I kind of thought about it and I thought about a, a, a way of doing it. So I then told her and she said, so will you come and teach it? So I then took two weeks off every year, well, the first year to teach the makeup artists or the would-be makeup artists had to do short back and sides. The following year, I took a month off 
to teach them because they had two classes. Um, then they wanted to do refresher courses for all the makeup designers um, in how to do modern day hair because a lot of them did period, but they didn't do modern hair. So right. I was showing them how to do that. Anyway, at that point, um, I say I was having a lot of aggro with a lot of the hairdressers within the the salon. I decided to leave, and. Um, I opened up my first salon in 1984 in Beecham Place, which, again, this is me being me. Um, I thought it was a nice little back street in Knightsbridge, and I found a small salon, did it up, and then as soon as we moved in, I realised that across the road was San Lorenzo, where at that point Lady Diana was going in all the time, Right. I had Bruce Oldfield down the road from me. Um, just after that, um, Jasper Conran opened a shop next door but one to me. And then John Galliano opened a shop a little bit further down. <laughs> so this, road, this little back street suddenly turned into the major fashion hub for London. And so, again, I think I was very lucky that things happened. Had you, had you thought about opening a salon in, like, real sense, or had you just sort of gone in and found a little space and just opened yeah. it? <laughs> the latter. Oh, my goodness. That's what I mean. Honestly, Forrest Gump. <laughs> um, <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing or what letting myself into. I remember going to see my bank manager, and thank God it was the 80s. Um, I went to see my bank manager, and I said, I've got this idea for opening a salon in a small back street in Knightsbridge. And he went through my figures and he went, so what happens if it fails? I went, I guess I'll start again. Right. Uh, so, again, it's that youth thing where you think, yeah, why not? Oh, 27. Very young to open a salon as well, isn't it? Crazy, 27. crazy. I'd advise anyone to wait a lot longer. Wait until you're in your, at least your mid-30s. Enjoy yourself a bit rather than get tied down with all the stress because then you have all the stress of dealing with staff, yeah, and also kind of the financial side. The financial side's um, always a bit of a horrendous thing, so you just have to get used to that as well. So you'd opened, you opened your first salon, and suddenly in this area that becomes the hot spot... Um, with all the fashion and everything else that was going on. And you started off doing Chariots of Fire. What a way to start your, your film career. Yeah, it's quite a good, good beginning. Yeah. It was all downhill after that. But um, <laughs> it's quite funny because I then, because of all those people I'd taught at the BBC, the BBC broke up their makeup department. So they then went off and um, became self-employed makeup artists so they were doing loads of different productions so we did masses of tv stuff um and you know some some of the iconic stuff which in a way no one will remember now um because it's such a long time ago um uh, but from then a lot of those makeup artists went into film and because of the films they were doing we we were being asked to do hair for the films and, you know, it's one of those things that you become someone that's trusted and that's the main thing. And it's the main thing in hairdressing, isn't it? Yes. You know, people come to you because they will pay your prices, they will do 
what you say because they trust your knowledge. Yes. And that same thing happened with me, really, with the TV and uh, film. People knew that if they said, we want this haircut to look like it's not been done for about three or four weeks, it can't look fresh, it has to look lived in. Um, the the colour has to look lived in. And very often we were being asked to do quite horrible things because it's things that go against um, kind of a hairdresser's brain right. to produce something that's quite ugly. And in fact, we did uh, last year, and I don't know if you remember, we did White House Farm, which was the story about the murder in White House Farm from 1984. Um, and... There were some of those haircuts that came to revisit me that I used to do in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe because I, I was there, I could actually do them and it's, they looked original. Um, and some of the, the hair colours were kind of changed as well because some of the hair colours... Also, if you think about 84, that was perms. Yes. And we're not talking soft, wavy. We're talking... Little pink rollers or little yellow rollers, yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, I know all about perms in the 80s, Paul, because that's all I seemed to do was help wind and (laughs) neutralise all the way through my my apprenticeship. Um, Of the movies that you've done, what are your favourites? Obviously, Chariots, I think, is probably your first one. It was interesting doing... I did one um, with Andrew Garfield called Breathe, and... It was a, about someone who um, should have died, really, and didn't. He carried on doing it, and he was in an iron lung, and they developed a way of getting him around and being able to breathe without the iron lung. Right. Um, and it was really interesting working with Andrew. Andrew's one of those people that um, he's very focused in what he does, so it's very important to get the look right. Um, and again, that was a haircut that couldn't look like it had just been cut, that it just looked like it was there all the time. Um, and so, although it wasn't a, a big thing to do, it was um, something that was actually quite in- interesting. Right. Um, we also did Fantastic Beasts, and I have to say, that was great as well. Because um, with that, it was... Um, changing characters. I love it when you have to kind of come up with a character and um, you have to come up, kind of work with the makeup artist uh, and what they want. And so you're kind of not working blind, but you're having to sculpt something. I think it's difficult working with makeup artists because it's not about you and the person in front of you. It's about trying to get the vision of the makeup artist. So there has to be a connection between the two of you. You have to get on quite well and you have to be able to sort of say, oh, okay, let's change it. And it's not that it's wrong, it's just it's not her vision. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, We did something called a double and uh, as with Jesse Eisenberg and Mia Wachowski. And that was quite interesting because um, that was set in a another world, as it were, dystopic world. Um, and it, nothing could look quite right. It had to look all a little bit odd. Right. And it's quite nice when you're having to do those things that don't conform to fashion. You're having to do stuff that 
you have to kind of... I read all the script and then I worked with a makeup artist and I know the makeup artist really well. Uh, she's called Jan Saul and she's an amazing makeup artist. Well, she's an Oscar winner as well, isn't she? She didn't win an Oscar, but she was up, up for one. Right. Um, and um, we, well, I worked on that as well because um, that was Bohemian Rhapsody, yep. which um, we did the hair for. I didn't do the wigs. <laughs> I have to say those... 70s and 80s wigs were amazing and that's where she's really good but I did the short haircuts um but even that was quite funny because I um was cutting someone's hair it was one of the leads hair <clears throat> and um he came in I said I'm going I'm going away with my girlfriend this weekend and um I'd quite like my hair cut a bit shorter a bit edgier so I was just like okay fine I said but have you got anything that you're going to be doing? And he went, I've got nothing. I'm in wigs for the next two weeks. So don't worry, it'll be fine. Anyway, that was on the Friday. On the Monday morning, I had a phone call of Jan saying, what the hell have you done? I said, We've, we're doing the opening scene. You've cut his hair really short. And we've got the opening scene. And now I'm going to have to try and recut his wig because he had a, a slight top piece yes. that went with the, the hair. So... Um, I've now got to recut the whole thing because you've cut it really short. Why did you cut it short? I went, he said he was wearing wigs for the next two weeks. And he said, he's an actor. Actors are taught to lie. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's classic. That was the, the, that was the guy that you said to me, oh, just, can you just do a quick colour for me, Jack? And I'm like, yeah, all right. Did his colour. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God, it won, it won so many awards, that movie. That was so funny. But that... That's that kind of, again, it's that thing where you don't always know what you're doing. No. And you have no idea if, if it's going to be a kind of a, a major kind of goal or not. Um, and the, like, again, last year we did Good Omens with da- David Tennant, uh, Michael Sheen. And David Tennant had bright red hair. And when I saw him going out the salon, I was just like, what the hell? Yeah. That's ridiculous um and michael sheen had bleach blonde hair without a toner so it's bright yellow and i was just like what are we doing this is really bad but again it was perfect for the for the film part yeah Uh, so it's again it's it's really interesting but what's interesting is that you never know what the next challenge is going to be within movies or within life within life who saw this kind of happening who saw this kind of um it's quite amazing when i think about it um if someone had said to me what are you going to do next year and i'd have reeled off a whole list of things staying at home for three months was not on amongst it's not it. on the list was it no not at all no. so you've been involved with movies paul for a long time now yeah and you're one of the few hairdressers, or maybe, I don't know whether it's the only one, but one of the few hairdressers that is a, a voting member of BAFTA. Yeah. And that, again, it came through what, with, with that was one of my clients was the head of BAFTA um, a couple of years ago. And she was the chair. And um, she was saying, are you a member of BAFTA? I went, no. But they wouldn't let me in because I, I don't work kind of on set I normally work off set occasionally I'll be pulled on set yeah um and 
she was just like, well, why don't you put a resume? Because I know a, at least 10 films you've worked on. Why don't you put a resume together and send it me? So I started putting it all together and it ended up with two pages of full scap. So A lot of films on there. There were a lot of films on there. Um, and in fact, I missed out Chariots of Fire because I was too embarrassed that I'd started so long ago. Stop um, it! So, <laughs> <laughs> so that was quite funny. Um, you know, when, I, when they, I sent it through, they were going, oh my God, why do you never tell people about all this stuff you do? And it's just like... I don't know. It's just not me, really. You know, you know me. Yeah. I'm not one that goes around shouting about. I, I like to be known for what I do rather than who I do. Yeah. Um, and I, I like, uh, again, being slightly in the in the background. I'm not one that likes shoving my face in front of a camera. Well, it's quite funny in the salon, though, isn't it? The caliber of actors and actresses and stuff that come in there. Yeah. And everyone's just that normally. There's no. I mean, the stuff, the young stuff, obviously, sometimes get a bit starstruck, but they're all trained not to do anything, yeah. you know, make anyone feel any comfortable. And you've just got people just chatting away. I remember Julie Walters coming in, and we had one of the new juniors uh, shampoo the colour off her hair. And the junior kind of went, so what do you do? And she went, oh, I'm an actress. And she went, oh, that's a really hard job, isn't it? Do you get much work? <laughs> Bless, bless the kids, hey. When she was dragged to one side by the other juniors and slapped about, she was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> but, again, it's that thing that I think part of the reason that those actors come in is because they're, they've got refuge from uh, yes. fame, as it were. It's not having everyone... You know, we treat, you know, we treat everyone really well, but we try not to treat those people people better no everyone gets treated the same and i think that's what people like about it too yeah and you know emma thompson's been one of my clients for years and we've gone through quite actually i have to say something about her when we i first did her hair alan i used to do alan rickman's hair uh for all his films and um alan recommended her because she'd been in la and she'd grown her hair really long it's really long and very blonde and she was coming over to this country to do um, a, a film with her mother called The Winter's Tale. And it was set up in kind of Scotland. And she was supposed to be a woman that had gone through major trauma and cut off her hair. And so she had it tinted dark red from having this blonde L.A. look to having dark red and a short haircut. Anyway, she didn't know where to go to for a haircut. And Alan Rickman said, there's only one person you can go to in London, and that has to be Paul Edmonds. So she came in, of course, and I'd rung up my friend in America that worked with her and said, look, what's she like? And they went, oh, she's quite, she's really nice, she'll get on. And I went, you're not really giving me a lot here. I need a bit more information. Give me a bit more. I went, you'll really like her. It's like, thanks, thanks a lot. Um, so she came in the salon and I really liked her. Um, she kind of said, right, I'm doing this film, so I need my hair cut. And I said, oh, what, do you want it a little bit shorter? And she went, no, I want it cut short. So I went, OK, so what, here? And she said, no, I want it cut short. And she had it kind of cut to about that length and kind of clippered around the sides and the back. Um, and I have to say, I think I was the one in shock. She was quite cool about the whole thing and quite happy with everything that we were doing. But 
it took me a little while to get over it. But it, again, she had her hair cut short um, quite a few times. And when she did Angel, Angels in America, I don't know if you saw that. Yes, I saw that. She, of I saw that. Yeah. she kind of um, had it cut really short for that. And then she did another thing, which she, uh, I can't remember the name of it now. Um, she played a woman who, Wit, it was called, which is, a, if you haven't seen this film called Wit, get it out and watch it. It's brilliant. About a woman with, suffering from cancer. She loses all her hair, so she had, had her head shaved for that. So she's not one to kind of pussyfoot around and go, oh, I don't think I can't really do that. I know, because you've, you've actually got two sides of the coin, haven't you? You've got the actresses that just immerse themselves and go for it, and then you've got others who are a little bit more neurotic about their hair. Yeah, yeah. yeah we won't talk about them. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's the, the, the stories that we can tell, that we won't. Can't really. That's a, what, an amazing, what an amazing career in film, and still going strong as well, which I think is, I know. is fabulous. Because which I think we've got some lined up for when we actually open up the... Apparently the films are starting up, I think, August, September. There's some TV stuff that's starting now and there's a, a couple of uh, TV things that are being finished off, uh, I think, from next month. Right. But most of it starts August, September. So for the audience, as we record this, we are tentatively awaiting maybe an announcement today that we go back July 4th, but yeah. we'll wait and see. This, this will be coming out a little bit later. Paul, you've got two salons now. You've got a, uh, the most stunning salon in Knightsbridge. It was the, I was drawn not only to your peaceful soul, for some, <laughs> to somebody to work with, which you know I need, um, no. but also I was drawn to just the sheer luxe of the venue as well, that it was really smart and I felt like that, yeah, it felt really good to me when I walked in there. Then you've also opened an Uber Lux salon at Battersea Power Station, which yeah. of course is just being all renovated. How how do you manage your team seriously? I mean, there will be a lot of people just like, how do you do that? How do you manage your time, your team, and how do you look after yourself? Well, myself. Um, yeah, yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. There's a lot. I'm very lucky that I've, my partner, business partner, is amazing and he does a lot of the the stuff and quite early on in our kind of business relationship he said I want you to stay the nice man and I'll be the one that says things good cop bad cop yeah and I wouldn't say we're quite that but if people want to try and get round me or get round to do something they will come to me first and one of the things that I had to learn was that you, if you're managing a business, you have to let managers manage a business and you have to do what you do. So uh, we have a salon manager, Zoe, you know really well. Um, and she can do a lot of shouting if necessary. Not very often, but she can <laughs> shout. Um, Yasha doesn't shout. He just calmly goes through things and point stuff out. Um, so I allow them to do that. So that's how I manage, by not managing. Uh, yeah. How Systems. You have systems in place. Yeah, and I think, you know, we've got over 50 staff, maybe 60 staff, so you have to have systems. Um, yeah. Now we're coming into opening up again. Again, the systems are all changing, and it's going to be a complete revolution. Um, 
from our point of view, and I think it will be for the industry. So that I think it's going to be a really interesting time. And I think we have to take this as being a good, a good thing that's happening. Um, there's lots of bad, but there's good bits coming out of it. Yeah, I, I certainly think there are, there are good bits coming out of it. I think, you know, 14 weeks of, or whatever it is now, is like unheard of. Yeah. Um, but I think that we can definitely redefine the industry when we go back. Yeah. And I think it has to be more professional. We know we have to be seen as being professional. Yeah. We have to do our best to kind of elevate the standing of hairdressers because the one thing that does piss me off, and it pisses me off quite often, is when people go, oh, you're a hairdresser. And they think that you're someone that kind of just fluffs in a little back room somewhere and makes people look pretty. They don't realise the amount of time, effort and thought that goes into mm. not only doing hair, but actually running a business. Yes. Well, you know, they say you're a hairdresser. They say to me, just a colourist. <laughs> just colour. <laughs> Which makes me giggle too. Yeah. Um, and again, it's not one of those things that I can go into because you know, I'm not a colourist. Um, <laughs> but, um, no, I've, I think, as I say, one of the things I learned at... Daniel Galvin years ago was to respect people for what they do and I think that's what you have to do because you you do things that I could not do I would probably do things that one you can't do but also it's that thing of working together you end up with a synergy that produces something great and that's what you know I, I work only with the best so we don't have mediocre and I always say to the assistants, it's very easy to have to be mediocre. Um, so why be mediocre when you've been great? Because really, you should always try and aspire to be great in what you do. Absolutely, there's nothing like a little bit of aspiration in life at all. Yeah, and you know, it's very easy to do the easy option, and I, I, I'm not very good at doing easy, easy options, uh, as you know, because I always end up doing things or trying to do things ahead of other people. And like with our... In fact, you haven't seen it yet, what we've done to the salon, so wait till you see that. I have seen it because I've taken two <laughs> walks down with the dog. I've been nosing in the window. Oh, it looks, And I'm very excited about it too. Yeah, we've removed our reception desk. We don't have a reception... T- our reception team work off-site. Um, and we now have someone at the front, which is almost like a maitre d' that will show people through and show them through to their experience. So it's kind of different. It's a different way of working, and hopefully it'll work. I'm sure it will. I believe it will. Anyway, I'm very excited about that. Yeah, I am quite excited. I'd like to thank you for coming on today for great chats <laughs> and for sharing part of your story, because I do believe that I could probably do another podcast with you. Probably. There's quite a few other stories <laughs> in there, but some of them I can't tell publicly. <laughs> I'll save those for a whisper in the staff room. Okay. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. And lovely seeing you. Take care. Lovely talking to you too. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did making it for you. Don't forget to subscribe on your channel that you download your podcasts from. iTunes is my favourite, but I know there are others out there. And also, if you want to follow me on stories on Instagram, it's Jack Howard Colour, C-O-L-O-R, the American way, not the English way. And on Facebook, it's Jack Howard Colour, C-O-L-O-R. And my website is www.jackhowardcolour, C-O-L-O-R.com. Hold up. 